The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And thanks again, everyone, for showing up, either here in person or online. It's nice to be able to gather in this way. And I'm going to start a not a new topic, because it's something we've been looking at forever here at the center, you know, the nature of the mind and the nature of awareness and how those two things, the nature of our mind, what we call the mind, and the nature of what we call awareness or mindfulness, how are they the same, how are they different, what's the point, <laughs> and what's the big deal about awareness? And uh, it's a different perspective than often what we're used to. And even today, with uh, all the advances in neuroscience, it still, without us even realizing it, it still has very much a, a materialistic point of view that there is this thing called the mind, and somehow, mysteriously, it arises from this wet thing we call the brain, you know. Now, you know, well, now we know that part of the neurology isn't just here in the skull and what we normally refer to as the brain, but all through the body. But still, there's this idea, pervasive idea in the West, that the mind is some strange phenomena that arises from this wet, uh, <laughs> interesting stuff that we find inside our body, right? I'm just being a little funny about it, but... And uh, we just kind of take that as the way that it is. And I'm not going to make a counter-argument, here's what the mind is, except to say that that idea of materialism, that the mind or everything arises out of biology or arises out of what we call the condition or external world, that's just a point of view. And uh, it's nice to have an open mind about what this is. And what we can tell for sure right now, each of us, and I encourage you to just do reflection with your own experience as I'm talking, what we know for sure, and maybe the only thing we know for sure, is that there's an external, or I'm sorry, there's a subjective experience being known. Right? Anybody not clear that whatever it is, there's this experience I'm having and it's being known, and I can be sure that that's happening. I, I may not know exactly how to articulate what that is even, but I know there's an, a, what we call a subjective experience or this experience, and it's being known. And this is what I know. This is being known. And now we're getting a little closer to Dharma practice, the way the Buddha suggests that we relate, which is not presuming anything, just orienting around our own experience, not any interpretation we have. As the Buddha once said, you know, however you or I might conceive of it, it's never that. So don't try to conceive don't tell yourself the way that it is. Don't believe your interpretations. 
get to know the experience of experiencing. Because that's what this is. It's a succession of experiencing being known. And what happens when we train the mind that knows to, in a sense, attune to that way of experiencing or that way of knowing. So sometimes uh, throughout the history of Buddhism, you know, there's a sense that things proceed, things arise or unfold out of the mind as opposed to out of the body or and this is the very beginning of the Dhammapada, it's a faint collection of verses from the Buddha and the Buddhist tradition. So right at the beginning, the very first verse goes like this. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind, speak or act with a corrupted mind. And by that corrupted, they mean a mind that's under the influence of greediness or fear, aversion, or distractedness, deludedness. Speak or act with a corrupted mind and suffering follows as the wagon wheel follows the hoof of the ox. All experience is preceded by mind, led by mind, made by mind. Speak or act with a peaceful mind and happiness follows like a never-departing shadow. We kind of know this, I mean, when we're in a foul mood, the world looks pretty foul. And when we're in a really cheerful mood, the world looks very different. And what's that about? Is it that the world has changed? Or we can have two people sharing a very similar experience, same place, same time, same kind of, at least external conditions, that can have a very different experience. And uh, when I was, uh, the last few weeks, when I was teaching in May, you know, and one thing that we often say in the Buddhist tradition that it really matters what we pay attention to, and even more so, how we're paying attention, the way the mind is relating. And it's very much in this way that we're constructing our experience, how the mind is relating, how the mind is understanding. So, as it's sometimes understood, the Buddha is a kind of spiritual doctor. I mean, they use that, I'm not sure if you'd call that a metaphor, but, and so the way that the Buddha diagnosed our human problem is that we are living, but we're living in a way where the mind continuously misperceives and misunderstands the way it is. And so then everything I think and say and do arises out of that misperception, misunderstanding. And so then what I think and say and do is off. It's not in alignment. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. It causes all kinds of reverberations that are heavy and difficult because my action, my way of engagement and showing up and relating is based on misperceiving and misunderstanding. And you know how it is, we have habits of perception. 
But part of the habits of perception is the presumption that the way I'm perceiving is accurate. <laughs> like right now, you're, we're all perceiving this experience, whether you're at home on Zoom or listening on the live stream, the YouTube live stream, or whether you're here in the room, whatever perception, whatever we're perceiving, you see, part of the, per- the distortion of how we perceive is the presumption this is the only way this moment could be perceived. We don't realize there's a constructive element that we're putting it together based on habits, unseen habits. So you see, it really blocks a lot of curiosity. I mean, this is, I, I often say this to people when asked or when people are curious about well, what happens when you practice sincerely for 40 years, or for me it's a little longer now than 40 years, what changes? And it's not always, but often, and especially when I'm suffering, when there's some heaviness in my mind, heart, body, I get curious. The mind now, by habit, gets curious, like, you know, interesting that this experience is being constructed that's heavy and hard to bear. What is the mind not understanding clearly, not seeing clearly? What is not being acknowledged? And in the non-clarity and the non-acknowledgement, then this heavy world, this heavy, heavy experience comes to be. So it's like the suffering I'm experiencing is optional. It arises when there's misperception and misunderstanding. So how, what's being missed, what's being misunderstood, what's not being acknowledged, that's here and now. How are habits of perception, habits of constructing experience, um, operating in this moment? in ways that they don't have to operate. When seen, when acknowledged those habits, then they get, in a sense, neutralized. You know how that is, right, with these like implicit biases that we have around gender, around class, around race, around so many of these important factors that are relevant in our collective you know, experience. Then we can, if with some training, we can begin, we can't just like snap our fingers and desire those implicit biases away, but we can begin to recognize them operating in the mind, and that really helps. Oh, I'm being, you know, I'm being, this is that male conditioning expressing itself right now in this moment, and it feels and looks like this. And just seeing that creates other options for how the mind is perceiving and engaging when it's seen. But not when it's not seen. When it's not seen, those patterns, those tendencies of the mind just define, in a sense, express themselves unseen, unquestioned. And it sets in motion what it sets in motion, like the world we're living in. This is from a a well-known talk that Ajahn Chah, he's a very well-known Thai Buddhist monk and meditation teacher who died about 30 years ago. Um, 
They're quite influential in Buddhism uh, coming to the West these last number of decades. And this is a well-known recorded talk of his that's called Still Flowing Water. And you can find it online uh, if you just put Ajahn Chah. Ajahn is just a Thai word that means teacher for a monastic teacher. And so... um, and then Cha is his monastic name, C-H-A-H. Ajahn Cha, still flowing water, and you'll find this article. And in it, he said, In our practice, no matter what aspect you refer to, you must always begin from the mind. Do you know what this mind is? What this mind, what is this mind like? What is it? Where is it? Nobody knows. All we know is that we want to go over here or over there. We want this or we want that. We feel good or we feel bad. But the mind itself seems impossible to know. What is the mind? The mind doesn't have form. That which receives impressions, both good and bad, we call the mind. It's like the owner of a house. The owner stays at home while visitors come and see them. They are the ones who receive the visitors, who receive sense impressions. Who receives sense impressions? What is it that perceives? Who lets go of sense impressions? That is what we call mind. But people can't see it. They think themselves around in circles. What is the mind? What is the brain? Don't confuse issues like this. What is it that receives impressions? Some impressions it likes, some it doesn't like. Who is that? Is there one who likes and dislikes? Sure there is, but you can't see it. That is what we call mind. That's just an interesting question, because obviously for us humans, what we call the mind is relevant, right? It's a really relevant thing. And a good answer when we contemplate like we can do right now, what is the mind? Well, this is mind. This experience we're having right now is mind. This is a moment of knowing the mind. Because it's the mind that's knowing this experience each of us are having, right? And so when we're reflectively aware of the mind, that means we're reflectively aware of what the mind is knowing. Because in its essence, that's what the mind does. It knows. Sometimes that knowing is skewed by habits of fear or habits of greed or habits of distractedness. But when we know what the mind is knowing, well, we know that's mind. The mind is knowing. The mind is conscious. So we're knowing what the mind is conscious of, what the mind is feeling, right? That's the mind. And and kind of the characteristic, right, is that sensitivity. So all of the sense impressions, whether they come like a thought, is a kind of sense impression, just like a sight. You know, and the way that a, a visual experience touches the sensitivity of the mind, a thought also touches the sensitivity of the mind. And a sound touches the sensitivity of the mind, and even a physical touch, right? Where is that? Where is touch? No. Well, touch is known, 
in the mind, the mind somehow, what we call touch, hardness, softness, heat, coolness, right, movement, these are all aspects of touch, and they're known only in the mind. What is touch without a sensitive mind? It's like that. If a tree falls in the woods, no one's there. You know, it's like touch only makes sense because of the sensitivity of the mind that knows touch, right? Touch is known in the mind, in the sensitive mind, we say. Just like all experience. So there is this sensitivity, and that location of that sensitivity. That's, a, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because we want to say something silly, like, well, that's up here, that's here. But you, we know for ourselves, where is that sensitivity? Right? Where is it? It's here. <laughs> it's like, is there anywhere here that there's not sensitivity? Like, can you go, oh, there's no, numbness is over here, but sensitive, No. It's like sensitivity doesn't, the location is here and now because this is mind, right? And I know we have this idea that I'm here and you're there and this is a building and we're in Minneapolis, which is in North America, in the Milky Way galaxy. (laughs) Do you really think there's a map? of the galaxies, and one of them has the Milky Way. <laughs> I mean, this is, but that's kind of how our mind, the thinking, conceptualizing mind, kind of manufactures reality like that. But it's just this, here and now, which is this play of sensitivity, and the only thing that's sensitive, you can call it the heart, or you can call it the mind, or you can call it this, and it It doesn't really, even location is one of those conceivings. And I'll read before we end today, the Buddha calls conceiving a tumor. (laughs) Kind of really goes to the heart of our problem, it's all this conceiving. And interestingly, like if we do a little experiment, you know, I do this a lot, and it's good for us just to do this every day, if not regularly, just to get clear what awareness is. So when, you know, just touch something, you don't have even have to move. It could be your sits bone against the chair, or maybe your hand, like my hand's touching my wrist. And when we just recognize that sensitivity or that experience of contact, pressure, warmth, softness, or whatever the particular characteristics of that experience are, And we're just tuning into the knowing of that. So we're recognizing that this touching is being known. We're aware, we say, mindful or aware that touching is being known. And when we're with that bare knowing, simple knowing, You see, we don't need any conception, any conceiving. We don't need to interpret or define the experience or have some narration about it in order to be intimate with it. 
right? Isn't that true? That, now, the, the way that delusion operates here, maybe you can sense this in your own experience, is uh, delusion, like the habit of ignorance, wants to reject this simple, bare knowing of touch, in this case, because it feels arrogantly sure, ignorance does, that it has nothing to teach me. Because we presume that I learn stuff, the relevant stuff that I need to learn, by thinking about things and interpreting them and comparing and analyzing in all the normal mental activity. But there's actually something profound to learn here. And what it is, the learning, the profound learning that comes from this, which really goes to the heart of awareness practice, which is really at the heart of what the Buddha taught, the real change agent, you could say, of the Buddhist teachings and practices, is that it's teaching us about a different, you know, let's just be a little bit provocative, a different reality, you know. So instead of the reality that's shaped and defined by our conceptions, thoughts about things, we're in, we can learn to reside or abide in this more simple place that's not dependent on conceiving conceptions or any sort of cognitive definition. And it will, if we train the mind to abide there, it will forever change how the mind then relates to its way of conceiving and thinking. And and it's not a rejection of thoughts. We don't need to be afraid of thoughts or, you know, thinking, as I often say, and other people say, it's like a really useful tool. But it isn't. Thinking isn't wise. I think this way a little bit about the whole controversy around artificial intelligence now, where we often mistake like power, the power to organize data, to distill data in different ways as wisdom. I mean, it, it may be impressive like one of those big caterpillar tractors. It's pretty impressive when you see those the power of those big machines do what they can do, right? So, but power isn't the same as wisdom, or understanding, or clarity. And it's sort of like uh, <laughs> the, the big joke, and I think I can give it away, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, I mean, there's lots of jokes in that, whatever it is, trilogy or something like that, but uh, it's been decades since I've read it, but, you know, they... Uh, just the long and short of it, they build this huge computer, which turns out to be the Earth, to answer the most relevant question, like, what is the meaning of life, or something like that. And the computer gives them the answer, finally, after a long, long time, which is what, 42? <laughs> then they need to build another computer to figure out what the answer means. <laughs> But it's a little bit like that with our, you know, where we're 
looking for something outside of this moment to tell us what this moment is. But it's just this. We So a lot of our practice, the reason the Buddha and you know the people who practice with these teachings that we really respect, we appreciate so deeply this capacity we all have to be awake, aware. And that's just that simple reflective awareness of what the mind is conscious of. So the mind is conscious, as long as we're alive, evidently. So we can be aware of what the mind is conscious of. But that awareness in no way has to be judgmental or controlling. It's simply reflectively aware of what the mind is doing or knowing, sensing. Oh, it's like this. And and it's that's how we, in a sense, how wisdom, the mind, meets the nature of the mind, the nature of experience, the nature of the way it is, what we call Dhamma or Dharma, or those two ancient words, one Sanskrit, one's Pali, but central to Buddhism. And in, in a way, it's not really even appropriate to call what we're interested in Buddhism. That's just, you know, kind of an institutionalized sort of system here in human culture. But what we're really interested in is the way it is. We don't have to call that anything. It's just being interested in the way it is. So in that way, it's not quite useful to think of Buddhism as a typical religion because we're just interested in it. We're just using the mind, the natural capacity of the mind, to be interested in this. And what is this? This is something being known, right? There's consciousness, and we're being interested in what is, in this moment, conscious, what the mind is consciously knowing, sensing. And we're keeping that in mind. And interestingly, now this gets a little provocative, that's, There's nothing outside of that for each of us. That's all of it. What our mind is sensing is all that, in a sense, is relevant, right? So we're keeping that in mind. Now, I say that because we don't want to feel like I'm going to miss the boat if I... If I really train my mind to value being present to what the mind is knowing, I'm going to miss out on something. No, like if you have some quirky desire to collect twine, right? I know that's somewhere not too far away. Someone has the biggest bowl of twine. Or whatever, whatever it is your heart's desire might be, it's not going to go away. You're just going to be whatever that quirky thing is. You're just going to Train your mind to be aware of it for the way that it is. You're neither for it nor are you training your mind to be against the conditioned patterns of your mind. We're just observing the way it is, what's being known. There's a famous uh, Thai woman, 
Upasika Ki is their name. She's dead now, but was quite respected as this uh, meditation teacher and uh, really wise, saint, saintly person who just sort of went off into the hills and over time people who respected her practice started to gather around her and lived a very, very simple life. You can read her book. I have the link in the document. Um, I'll put it again in the chat for people online and people here in the room. Uh, there are some resources in this Google document and people in the room. You can just look on our public calendar for the Sunday morning program and the link for the Google document is there and there are like four or five articles related to what I'm going to be talking about for the next couple months, which is just the nature of the mind and awareness, right? And it really goes to the heart of our, our mindfulness practice or awareness practice. So evidently she said, this Thai woman, the mind that's aware of awareness doesn't send its knowing outside this awareness. Now, sometimes I'll use two different words instead of aware of awareness, which can seem a little trippy. I'll use like aware of what the mind is conscious of or aware of what the mind is knowing. But that's just, you know, it's always going to be a little tricky how we language it. But it is possible what we call awareness or knowing, it is possible to turn that knowing toward what the mind is knowing. We can be aware that seeing is being known, for example, right? Or that thinking is being known. So we can be aware of what the mind is knowing. It's not our habit, but it's possible with some training, right? So the mind that uh, that's aware of awareness doesn't send its knowing outside this awareness. And you know why that is? And you can check this out for yourself. Like, when you are aware that this is being known, that there's something that, that wisdom understands that this is the most relevant thing. What the mind is doing, what the mind is knowing, is really what wisdom wants to know. And that's what I was saying a few moments ago when I when there, it's actually a realization or an insight where the mind realizes there's nothing outside of this. There's nothing more that I could be missing. When the mind is aware, or wisdom is aware, of what the mind is doing, what the mind is knowing, then there's nothing else the knowing mind needs to do. It just needs to be aware of what the mind is doing or knowing. And then goes on, um, this impressive person says, nothing can be concocted in the mind when it knows in this way. Right? And that's the thing we, we really see. Like when I'm aware of what the mind is doing, it really neutralizes so much delusion, so much manufacturing of drama when the mind is observing in this neutral, non-judgmental way. And you can just see if you can like honestly act out in a unskillful way, unhelpful way, when there is that simple 
continuous presence, it's like this time. Just try to be juvenile or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, those patterns will arise, but they get undermined in a, in a sort of provocative or surprising way, deflated. So it, it's true that, that some of that acting out might happen, but it's almost uh, just a shadow of its former self. You know, I might act out in a defensive way, but when there's that continuity of mindful awareness while I'm being defensive or while I'm being self-conscious, it's almost like uh, it's not a problem. And that's really to be experienced directly. That's how we neutralize these ancient patterns of our mind. Is you know, in just sort of simple terms, we say we see it clearly. We see the pattern as it is. And that's what neutralizes it. Now, the place to do this, not necessarily the most seductive, addictive pattern, but some of the more regular patterns just resolve to observe them. You know, like when if your tendency is to eat too much or your tendency is to watch too much media or to gossip or to, you know, not want to deal with anything, you know, to postpone stuff you probably should be taking care of. Then just have that resolve in this non-judging, non-controlling way to just observe, like, honey, as if you're talking to yourself, honey, you just do what you want, just do what you're going to do, but we're going to bring awareness along for the ride. We're just going to be aware that it's like this, aware that this is being known. And just see, over time, what happens. And you're not doing it to make something happen. That's important. You're doing it because it is being known. And there's something that we all intuit that is really valuable in that. So let me just reread that. Nothing can be concocted in the mind when it knows in this way. In other words, an inward staying, unentangled knowing, all outward going knowing cast aside. Let me read that sentence again. In other words, an inward staying, unentangled knowing, all outward going knowing cast aside. And this is why it's so scary, and I'll end with this point. It's scary for us because we think that I, me, I'm driving my life, I'm moving forward in my life, and I have to, like when we're driving, it's almost like I'm looking out for problems, right? And so it's a very, like, uh, animal way of moving forward. It's like when you're driving on the freeway, we're out there sort of scanning, predicting, like, what's that car going to do, and how, how am I going to handle this turn? And But interestingly, like, when we put the emphasis on being aware of what the mind is knowing, then we have to take the hand off that steering wheel, which there never was a steering wheel, and there never were hands on that steering wheel, right? There is this navigation of life, but we can be aware of that navigation. 
Because that navigation, like you living your life, that's what we call nature. It's happening, but it's wrong to think that there's me doing it. And that insight that this activity, living of this life, that this is nature. Now, we may know that intellectually, but to see, experience that directly is really life-changing. And we'll come back to this next Sunday. And those who are willing to stay, and it's totally optional whether you're online or here in the room, every Sunday, at least when I'm teaching, there's about 15 minutes for small groups. And uh, Lisa and I will divide people in the room here. And Lucy's here to divide people online. Um, into small groups, and it's just a chance to sit down if you're or be together on Zoom and give each person one to three minutes just to talk about your own experience of awareness and your own dismissal of awareness, why you don't think it's relevant or helpful or doubt or whatever, but just to talk about some of the things I've said and then hear from the other person, hear from the third person, and then there's usually about five minutes just for conversation. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.